All right, so my goal for this morning as we approach this scripture is I want us to get into the crowd. What I mean by that is this entire chapter 6 of the book of John, we see the crowds and we follow the crowds from, you know, them first following Jesus because he's healing people to the feeding of the 5,000 to walking on water. And now there's this, you know, really awkward exchange that Anthony preached about last week of, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Like that's weird, Jesus. And now we see the crowd have to make a choice. They have to make a choice about who they believe Jesus is. And so my prayer as I've been preparing uh, for this is that we would be confronted with that same choice. And a lot of times, if you're like me, we read scripture and it's like easy to see the heroes and the villains, right? The good guys and bad guys. And the bad guys, we just assume are all idiots, right? Like how could you walk away from Jesus? He's Jesus. Uh, but I'm going to challenge us. I want us to feel the tension that they would have felt. And in the words of one of my favorite characters of one of my favorite books, Atticus Finch, I want us to get into their skin and walk around for a while and then choose, like the disciples did, either to turn away or towards Jesus, either to abandon him or worship him. And hopefully the prayer is not too many people would turn away because then Anthony will never want me to come back and preach again. And that would be a bummer. So we're going to start where chapter 6 starts in verse 1, and we see that these crowds are gathering. They're gathering and following Jesus because of the, the healings that they've heard about. Jesus has encountered sick people, blind people, uh, people with disabilities, and he has brought physical restoration to them. And just like any good restaurant or good movie that you see or, or Netflix show that you binge, the folks are telling their friends about it. They're telling their family members about it. And so the name of Jesus is starting to spread, and it's attracting people to his ministry. People start following. Crowds are forming to hear the teaching of Jesus. Kind of like this morning. For some people, they know a friend or a family member who has been healed by Jesus. They know someone who's experienced Jesus and it's radically changed their life. And so they want to learn more. I wonder if anyone can relate to that today. For other people, they're the ones. They're the ones who were healed. They're the ones who Jesus brought restoration in tangible ways into their life. Maybe it was uh, freedom from a sickness, freedom from depression or anxiety, free, freedom from just feelings of meaninglessness. I wonder if that's you today. You had that encounter with Jesus and you're following him and you're telling others about him. That is good news which should be shared. And I can't help but wonder if there's other people that like on this morning, they kind of looked around and they're like, well, my family's going to see Jesus my friends are going to see Jesus. I guess I'll just go see Jesus. I wonder if that's anyone today. We're thankful that you're here. That was my story for a long time is my family literally forced me to go to church. I wasn't that interested. There wasn't anything else to do, so might as well. Whatever the reason you're here, whatever the reason the crowds were forming, the reality is they're forming. There's crowds following Jesus. And like most of us, as we gather together, to sing and hear from the word, but it gets closer to lunchtime and closer to lunchtime, the longer the preacher goes, we start to get hungry. And the crowds are getting hungry and Jesus knows that. So put yourself in the crowd. I wonder if, if what it would have been like to be close to Jesus and the disciples, 
right, to watch this exchange of look how many people there are. They're hungry. Where are we going to get the food? And wondering with curiosity, I've just heard about this, Jesus. I've heard the miracles, but now like we're watching something unfold. Maybe we're close to the little boy in the crowd. Maybe we saw him raise his hand. Hey, I have a few loaves and some fish. Here you go, Jesus. What would that have felt like to see? Maybe we like, you know, weren't, didn't get there early. (laughs) We got there late and we're far away. And we hear that there's something going on, but next thing we know, we just see baskets passed. And we grab loaves, and we grab fish, and we start eating, and we're enjoying, and then we hear the rumblings. Then we hear the rumors. Hey, do you know how we got this food? Jesus did it. I wonder what it would have been like to look around the circle that we were sitting in to see the realization on people's faces. Yeah, there is like no Uber Eats. Where did this food come from? There's no ovens to bake bread. They're they're, they're out in the countryside. How did this happen? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. What would that moment have felt like? I wonder what it would have been like if somebody in the circle in which you were sitting was the first to say, he should be our king. Yeah, Jesus should be our king. Look, he fed us. wonder how quickly that would have spread throughout the crowd. The mob mentality starts to take over. We're going to force Jesus to be our king. That's clearly what he wants. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's performing miracles. He's healing. He's feeding crowds just like Moses did. This must be the promised one. And as the buzz starts to intensify and everyone knows, Jesus, he's going to be our new king. He's going to overthrow Rome. Let's go, Jesus, Jesus. Wait, where is he? Jesus vanishes. I wonder how long our crowd would have looked for Jesus before we gave up and went to sleep for the night. What would those conversations that evening have been like? How did he feed so many people? Who is this Jesus? Then the next morning we realize he and the disciples are gone. And so after a little debate, we cross over the sea and we find him on the other side. We find him with the disciples and he's doing his thing like he always does. And we start to talk and we start to ask questions. And then we hear more rumors. The disciples have been telling people that Jesus walked on water. How could you believe that? How could you believe that a man could possibly walk on water? This is insane. And yet, we ate the bread. I wonder how many of us have that moment where Jesus felt so real to you that you couldn't deny him. That moment that later in your life as the hard things happen, as the questions and doubts raise, that you can still look back and say, yeah, this is crazy, but I ate that bread. I ate those fish, so I can't easily walk away from Jesus. And then Jesus starts to teach. At the height of his fame and popularity, they want to make him king. Jesus starts to teach, and Anthony did such a good job last week, I I watched it online, uh, of raising the tension of like, wait, Jesus is super popular right now, and he starts confronting his crowd. He starts telling them that like, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, no, I don't want to be a vampire cannibal, Jesus. That's awkward and weird. And and, and people are getting upset, rightfully so. Jesus is claiming that he came from heaven. Who is this? What is this teaching? What if he was serious? 
What if he was serious? We have to wrestle with this. What if he was serious? And so we see this debate go back and forth, and Jesus is confronting the crowd and kind of rebuking them and making these wild claims, and that's where we pick up in our text. So if you have your Bibles, you can read with me in John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, heard that Jesus came from heaven, and that in order to have eternal life, you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Understatement of the year. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So in the midst of the awkwardness of this blood and and, and flesh conversation that Jesus is having, he just like raises the bar of awkwardness. Like, if you took offense that I'm telling you, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, then watch this. What would you do if you saw zombie Jesus rise from the grave and float away into the clouds? He raises the bar of the weirdness of our faith. I wonder what we would do with that. I wonder if we would realize what Jesus is saying, and honestly, guys, what gift He's offering. I want to tell you a story. The story is the story of my favorite Christmas present this year. Okay? I brought it. But it got mixed up with my mask, so now I need to find it. So here it is. I know you guys are distanced for COVID, so if you can't see it or you're on the live stream, this is a wrinkly $10 bill. Okay, before you start feeling like super sad for me, like, oh, the best gift he got was a tent. Like, no, I got really good things. Like, honestly, I got everything I asked for this year. It was a great Christmas uh, for my family. It was wonderful. But this is my favorite gift, and I'm going to tell you why. But for you to understand why, you have to understand the dynamic in my house. So when I started dating my wife, when she was my girlfriend, the first Christmas I spent with her family, I I learned about this super awkward Christmas tradition they have on Christmas morning. So picture it. I'm like the new boyfriend trying to impress the family. We go over there for Christmas, and I'm with a bunch of my wife's family members that I don't know and learn that their tradition is the youngest person in the room opens all of their presents first while everyone watches. And then the next oldest, next oldest, going all the way up to the oldest. So I already feel like nervous and awkward. (laughs) And then I got to sit there and like consider what my face is looking like as I'm opening presents from people that I don't know and who don't know me. And so hopefully they made a good choice. Uh, and, And it was in the middle of this first Christmas, I'm opening gifts and somebody got me a bottle of cologne and I was like, oh, that's really nice. And then like the next gift, Somebody else got me a bottle of cologne. And then the next gift, somebody else got me a bottle of cologne. And now I start to get super insecure. Like, I must have body odor that I never knew about. And and her family is trying to be kind and and polite to me. But my wife just filled me in later. She's like, no, they didn't know what to get you. And it just so happened you got 
three bottles of cologne. So still trying to use all of those three bottles of cologne. Um, but, but so that's our tradition, right? Our youngest son opens his gifts, then our oldest, then my wife, and then me, because I'm the oldest, you can tell, because I'm bald. And so, uh, so that has been our tradition in our family since my wife and I were dating up until this Christmas. So this Christmas, we separate all the gifts in everyone's pile, and we're ready for my youngest uh, to start opening his, and my oldest son starts protesting. He's like, no, not this year, not this year. Dad's got to open my present first. And so we're like, dude, come on, this is our tradition. And he's like, no, like he's adamant. He's got to open my present first. So I'm like, okay. So he hands me a card, right? And it's, you know, one of those, like, you print out the coloring sheet, you know, on the computer, and then the kid, like, colors it in. It's super sweet. And, and in his best handwriting, he writes, Merry Christmas, Dad. I hope you have a fun time. I love you. From Will. His name is also Will. And, and inside the card is a $10 bill. So naturally, being the loving, kind, gracious dad that I am, the first words out of my mouth are, where did you get $10? Like, don't judge me. He's nine. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have an ATM card. Like, where did this, it's a valid question. Where did you get $10? And so he starts to tell me the story. He tells me about how last week, when he and his brother went to grandma and grandpa's house, he asked grandma if he could do some chores so that he could earn some money for my Christmas present. Now, this is, like, you have to understand Grandma and Grandpa's house. If you were to combine, like, Disneyland, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, and, like, Lord of the Flies together, that is Grandma and Grandpa's house, right? Like, in our house for breakfast, it's like, hey, hey, here's a waffle with, like, some local honey on top. At Grandma and Grandpa's house, it's like, hey, here's a waffle with some syrup and some whipped cream and some chocolate syrup and some marshmallows and some chocolate chips and rainbow sprinkles on top, right? Like, like bedtime at our house starts at 8 and is over by like 8, 15, 8, 20. At Grandma and Grandpa's house, it starts at like 9.30 and is over hopefully by like 11.30. Like, Grandma and Grandpa's house is the funnest place on earth for my kids, so in the middle of that, my oldest son, while his little brother is like living his best life at grandma and grandpa's house, stops playing, stops doing whatever he wants to do, and asks if he can do chores. When we understand who the gift giver is and what it costs them to give the gift, our perspective gets shifted. So now when we go back into our crowd and we understand who the son is, we understand what he gave up to give us the gift. We understand what it cost him, his flesh and blood. It changes our perspective on the gift. So as the crowd is beginning to understand, as the disciples are understanding who Jesus is, that Jesus did come from heaven, that he is the son of the father. Ultimately, that this gift will cost him his death on the cross. Their perspective on the gift changes. And this is where we pick back up in our text. After this, in verse 66, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So the most obvious thing, at least to me, that jumps out at, at the text is these disciples are leaving. The crowds are leaving because of the hard sayings of Jesus. But I wonder if there's other things at play here. I, I wonder what the social pressure would have felt like. Right? Like we're in the crowds, right? We've, we've, just a few hours ago, we're like, Jesus, you're our king. Right? We'll, we'll follow you to overthrow Rome. Go, Jesus. And in a few short paragraphs of teaching, you start to see like one or two walk away. And that's fine because we're still in the crowd. But then you start to see like dozens of people start to walk away. What would that feel like? I mean, this teaching is already hard. Like, does it, does it make sense if more people are leaving? Like, maybe I'm justified to go as well? What do we do when we start to see people who have followed Jesus longer than us walk away? Like, what if the person who walked away was the person who first told us about Jesus? Well, what if your group, right, like your hometown carpool that you grew up with and you walked, you joined the crowd with, what if some of them started to walk away? What would that have felt like? What if all of them walked away? What would that pressure feel like. And guys, this is what we have to understand about the crowd. If the things that were said by Jesus were said by any other person who has ever lived or will ever live anywhere on the planet, anyone else except for Jesus said those things, then the crowd was correct in walking away. Jesus is claiming divine origin. He is claiming divinity, that he is God. That's blasphemy. The crowd should have walked away unless Jesus was serious. It, it was forbidden in the law to drink blood. They were right in walking away unless Jesus was serious. And think about all the promises of the Messiah, this promised one who's, who's going to make everything right and, and it's going to be all good when he comes. Well, if we're eating his flesh and drinking his blood, then that means he has died. And the promised one isn't supposed to die unless Jesus was serious. So the crowd is confronted with this choice. And if it was anyone else throughout all of human history, they would have been right but it's Jesus. And, and so we see the crowds start to leave, and I wonder how many people felt that tension of, I see people who follow Jesus do things that aren't like Jesus says and does, and it makes me want to leave too. I know that experience has been real in my own life. I went back and forth on if I was going to share the story. I think I'm going to share the story. Um, so, I came to faith in like end of junior high, early high school years in my youth group. And, and our youth pastor was like, 
um, kind of a big deal in California at the time. And he had been in ministry for 25 years. Uh, I'll describe it this way. When I went to Bible college and took an introduction to youth ministry class, they cited him. Okay. Uh, after that time, when I was in college, uh, we found out that for the last 25 years, my youth pastor had been uh, sexually abusing guys in his ministry for that entire time. And so all of those questions start, right? Like, can I trust anything he taught me? Like, this guy led me to Christ, but was doing all this other shady stuff. What do I do with this? And I wish I could say, like, oh, I just prayed and everything was great. Jesus, la, 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 right? Um, but that wasn't the case. Like, I, I really abandoned my faith for a number of years, if I'm honest. It caused me to question so much. Be but then I came to this place not easily, like through a ton of prayer and, and, and God doing a number of things in my life where I had to choose, like, do I follow Jesus or do I follow the people in the crowd? Because the people in the crowd will always let us down. We can't help but turn on the news and see the way the name of Jesus is being misused and wonder, is this all real? But church, the hard truth is that this should not surprise us. This does not refute our faith. It actually establishes our faith. Because we know we all sin and fall short of the glory. We know from personal experience, none of us is perfect. Now, please hear me. This does not justify the horrific things that have been done in the name of Jesus throughout church history. But I think it helps us to understand we are all sinful. We are all in need of grace and forgiveness. And we all need to choose, do we follow Jesus or do we follow the crowds? I've heard it said that the church is like Noah's Ark. It really, really stinks in there, but if you jump out, you drown. And I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> it doesn't take much time in church life to see that we do not live up to all that we preach, says the preacher on the stage with the microphone. We are not perfect. And again, I'm not making excuses for anyone or any group's behavior. Sin needs to be called out and dealt with. But when our eyes are on the crowd, guys, it's a lot easier to walk away from Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to cling to him, especially, especially when the crowds are leaving. And so now we need to deal with these hard teachings. Because it wasn't just that the crowds were leaving that caused people to walk away. It was some of these hard teachings of Jesus, like, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But what if Jesus was serious? What if he was serious not only in this, but in other hard teachings? Like, in the midst of a culture that says that we should cancel anyone who disagrees with us, that we should unfriend and unfollow anyone who has differing opinions, what if Jesus was serious that he commands us to love our enemies. Like, what if Jesus was serious that lust is adultery and anger or hatred is murder? What if he was serious about that? What if Jesus was serious that you cannot serve God and money? 
What if he was serious that if we refuse to forgive others, then our forgiveness will be withheld as well? These are hard teachings, but what if Jesus was serious about that? What if he was serious, this one gets me every single time, that some will prophesy in his name, cast out demons, and perform mighty acts only to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know about you guys. I don't think I've ever prophesied. I for sure have never casted out a demon. And I don't really feel like most of what I do is a, would be considered a mighty act. What if Jesus was serious? What if he was serious that his followers must be holy as our Father in heaven is holy? Surely we would agree these are hard teachings. Who can follow them? What if Jesus was serious in this? And guys, I got to be honest. Sometimes, like when I'm alone and I'm wrestling with who I am, these aren't the hard teachings. Sometimes I like these teachings because they feel like a checklist so that I can prove how righteous I am. And I can say what I haven't done. And I can compare that to other people and I can start to feel pretty good about myself. Sometimes the harder teachings are are teachings like you have a good father in heaven who loves you. Sometimes the hard teachings are the fact that he stitched me together in my mother's womb and he knows every hair on my head. I know that, but sometimes I struggle with knowing that. You guys follow? Like I can know it in my brain, but when I feel it in my heart, In those hard moments when like everyone else in my house is asleep and I'm awake with my thoughts and I'm wrestling and I'm praying and I'm feeling like the prayers are just bouncing off the wall and like nothing is happening and I'm like, Jesus, you speak, please speak to me and all I get are crickets. Sometimes it's really hard for me to believe that he lavishes his love on me. Sometimes that's a hard teaching. Church, what if Jesus was serious about that too? What if he was serious that he rejoices over us with singing, that he delights in us? Sometimes when we're honest with ourselves, these are the hardest teachings of all because we know how how short we all fall. And sometimes it's so hard to believe that God would still see us and know us and choose to love us. Well, here's the deal. I keep asking, what if Jesus was serious? We actually believe that Jesus was serious and is still serious today. And so now, like the crowd, we're faced with a choice. How do we respond to these teachings? How do we respond to these hard teachings of obedience that we cannot live up to on our own, but by the grace of God? How do we respond to these deep, profound truths that God sees us and knows us and loves us and forgives us when we fall and still invites us to follow him, still invites us into a family that he has adopted us, that while we were once far off because of the blood and flesh offered, he adopts us into his own family, considers us sons and daughters, And we will spend eternity with him when he reunites heaven to earth and makes all things new and all things good. 
when all of those things that we know are not the way they should be have been made right, we will be there with him if we believe. And so that's the call. That's the invitation this morning. Like the crowd, we have to look at who Jesus is. And if we can't say that he's actually the son of God who was, who was uh, murdered for us and raised again, then we're left with no other choice, right? Anthony mentioned it last. Like, he can't just be a good teacher because this is crazy teaching. He can't just be like a moral person because he's claiming divinity. So either Jesus is who he says he, he is or he's not. And the good news is that it's almost too unbelievable to believe because it shows us the depths of the darkness in our own soul, in our own choices, in our own hearts. But there's also the beautiful free gift of eternal life with him. And so as we conclude, I'm just going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray that in our time, the Spirit would speak. I know there's a number of things that could come up in a sermon like this. And so I don't know how to guide us well through it, but Jesus does. So we're going to ask him to do that. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the hard teachings. We thank you for the ways that the hard teachings are like a mirror that shows all of our flaws in our imperfections. And we thank you for the hard teachings that are also like a love letter that tell us how much you love us, how much you care for us. We know you were serious because you willingly went to the cross on our behalf. We know you were serious because you could have called down uh, 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 legions of angels to fight your battles, but you chose sacrifice for us. And so now in this moment, Spirit, we invite you to speak, to move in our hearts. Bring those things to mind that we haven't thought about for so long. Show us how you were present in those. Remind us of why we're here. Jesus, remind us of those times when we felt so close to you and we just, we long for that again. Spirit, bring conviction where there is unrepentant sin. We need you for that. No one comes to you unless the Father brings them. So, Father, would you bring us to your son, Jesus? Would you speak to us in this moment? We pray these things in your name. Amen.